0: Now you should listen to this because this concerned to you.
1: This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind.
0: It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it.
1: No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show. You are welcome. This show is being recorded for January 1st, 2023. The first show of a new year, a new beginning, a new everything except it's the same old crap. First, the business. This show is not kids safe, not work safe, not safe. This show has a little bit of a cold. <laughs> this show uh, has been vaccinated, but is in trouble. This show is what it is. Shows Creative Commons, licensed, non-commercial, attribution, 4.0, unported. Theme music is by the late, great band, The Gentle Readers. They're at gentlereaders.com. Bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind auspices of Backbeat Media. Thank you. Backbeat Media. I do not speak for my day job. Uh, I've been at the new day job for about like eight months. I've never said their name on this show. I was a little looser with the old one. I decided to church and state this mofo here because uh, I am not on brand. I am not speaking for the company or the brand. In the course of doing my day job, you will find me speaking for the brand, but I am not doing it here. So clear separation. All right. Are we good? Are we ready for a new year? Are we ready for an arbitrary <laughs> closing of one thing and an arbitrary opening of another thing because uh, somebody picked a point uh, thousands of years ago? Sure. Yes. Okay. Let's play a song by Nick Miller. This is in my upcoming song options document in Obsidian. I have no recollection where this came from, how it ran across my radar, anything about it, um, but I like it. It's an artist called Nick Miller. He's got a bunch of stuff up on Bandcamp. Some of it, uh, I'm playing this one because it's just what I was in the mood to. I came very close to playing a different one because it sounded so 70s country. It sounded like Eddie Rabbit, Mickey Gilly. Uh, As you may know of a man who grew up when I did, where I did, uh, I have a a little fondness for that kind of stuff. So uh, I almost went with that, Um, but uh did not let's play this this is from the love letters ep up on nick miller's bandcamp this is a song called put me out Meh Alright, that was Nick Miller from the album Love Letters or the EP Love Letters with Put Me Out. I like that. Every time he the way he saying that, ah, it sounds like uh, uh David Bowie's hero. <laughs> we could be heroes. So um um there you go. Enjoyed that. Um didn't know it was so long when I started it. I just kind of fast forward to the chorus. I'm like, I like this chorus. All right, here we go. And uh went with it. As always, the link to that will be in the show notes up at evil Genius Chronicles. Dot org. Now, I am going to do my absolute level best to control my voice because um, I don't know why the fallout from Pipewire. <laughs> I wish I had never fucking upgraded <laughs> to the version of uh, uh, Pop! OS slash which descends from Ubuntu that changed the audio system to Pipewire. I just don't have it in me to figure out how to go back in uh, I don't know the ramifications of that, but I will say that for some reason uh, that I don't understand within the last month. Now I just clip. Even if I turn the, like the input volume way down, it clips. And I don't know why. I don't know why any of this is happening. It's, I feel like ever since we went to PipeWire, I'm just adrift on an ocean. Um, we had this at work uh, where I had said something about how PipeWire wire uh, made, uh, you know, my life harder. Like, well, it's a superior system. OK, uh, you know, like one of our alpha nerds was like talking about how it was uh, so technically superior. I'm like, but if it's technically superior and I can't work the son of a bitch and it makes what I'm trying to do hard, what's the technical superiority that like that I realize in my day to day life? I mean, sure, it's lower latency or whatever it is or whatever thing it is that makes it better and it makes literally every single thing I do to record audio harder. Does not feel like victory to me, but okay. One of the things that I have done very, very recently um, within the last week, I guess, maybe within the last two weeks, um, is uh, I joined Mastodon. Um, I don't really uh, Facebook or Twitter uh, much anyway. Um, The vast majority of the stuff I post to Twitter has been posted there either by the the website when i post a podcast it auto posts to twitter or um if i log a beer on untapped it posts to twitter um me actually going and tweeting uh, on my own directly in twitter uh is a rare event much like the only time i use facebook uh i use the facebook messenger cuz i do have some people i talk to that way um but like posting reading or writing into facebook basically i do it around uh Softball time. <laughs> if there's softball fundraising or uh, results of softball tournaments uh, to be posted, uh, it's literally the only time I've used it, and I mostly just don't care. So I say, "Huh, mastodon. Let's see about mastodon." And I will say, uh, I am uh, every time I talk about something like this, I, I'm going to ask you if you are a mastodon partisan. If you are. Uh, if you love Mastodon with every fiber of your being and you you know submit pull requests to make it better and whatever, please understand <laughs> what I'm talking about here is not uh, an indictment of anything that happens. It's really just I'm uh, recounting my journey. And I will say that the Mastodon uh, as a product uh, seems as a project, let's say it's not a product, it's a project, seems like uh, a very good way of uh, attacking the problem they're trying to solve. However, I'm gonna say the day zero experience of Mastodon. Like you say, okay, I have I'm in. I've heard about Mastodon. I want to start. What do I do? The day zero experience sucks. <laughs> it sucks hard because the you can't just create a Mastodon account. You have to create an account on a server, which means before you can do anything, you have to choose a server. So now you're you. A person who does not know anything about Mastodon has to choose a server. Uh, Why is one server, like what what would be the right server for you? I'm, I I faced this very question, which is, okay, there's a list of them. What makes one better or worse for me or better or worse for anybody? Also, um, is this decision important or not important? like can I just like do I just create it and then if I find a server I like better later do I move my account do I create a second account there's a bunch of stuff I just had no idea so I don't know why to make the decision I don't know if it's a big decision or a trivial decision I just don't don't know I was like Wha- what so here's how I decided there was like lists of servers And, uh, one of them was the, uh, LGBTQ friendly server that seemed to be, um, uh, fun. I was like, okay, fine. And also you don't have to be LGBT to, uh, uh, join the server. So I was like, okay, uh, open to everyone. We tend towards this. I was like, fine, whatever, man. I just pick a random one. Um, what I have noticed recently, um, is, uh, part of the whole, um, Part of the whole Mastodon thing is, you know, we're a f- this Fediverse where th- this, you know, everybody's equal, man. Everybody's equal. However, it does absolutely appear to be that some instances are more equal than other instances, <laughs> right? Um, since I've started, like in the couple, in the two weeks since I started, and really today is the first day. Like this morning, I just, I was like, I had, was following, I think, seven people. Uh, And Evotero was two of them (laughs) on two different accounts. And I'm like, huh, maybe I should – let's just look. And so I was starting this process where um, I was subscribed to a couple people. I did not feel like scouring the world for, uh, like, rebuilding anything from anywhere else. Um, So I followed a couple interesting people, hoping that they would uh, reference other people that I would find interesting. And I can kind of bootstrap my list that way. Um, But – What I noticed this morning is when I started, I found a couple tools. I found a post about uh, tools, and somebody in the Discord just, like, I think Bruce Lerner just sent me a link, uh, like, a minute ago, and I think it might be the same thing that I used. There is a find the people uh, on Twitter who are also on Mastodon, and I actually did do that. So, you know, Thomas Gideon and some people like that. I did find some people. I put them in, but there's also a show, uh, this, um, whatever it's called follow graph something like this there will be links to these things in the show notes at evil Genius chronicles.org but it basically says who is followed by all, mo- a lot of your followers like who are the accounts that have how like in order of the most of your fo- people that you follow also follow this other account so for example neil gaiman was, one. I was like fuck it let's follow neil gaiman okay uh, not digging deep there, but sure. Yeah. Let's, let's do that. And you know, he ha- actually is, has a good track record of uh, boosting other people uh, that are interesting. So, okay, that would be a good, um, thing. But then what I notice is, uh, that a lot of the, there's like wandering.shop, um, which seems like a lot of the science fiction people, um, are in it. And I notice that there's just, there's different, there's different real estates. There's different neighborhoods here. So we're all we're all communicating kind of on a level playing field, but some of us live in the nicer neighborhoods than others. And there's the stuff that I didn't dig into. I don't know that I know the ins and outs really deeply that different instances can have different policies. So you could have like I mean, you could have the Nazi friendly uh Mastodon instance that will t- moderate literally nothing. And you can, you know, uh hate speech welcome here Mastodon, you know. Mastodon. I hate you. <laughs> whatever the fuck it is, and uh, you could have that, um, and so you could block. Um, you can say, okay, that's fine. I'm going to block um, seeing anything from this entire instance. So uh, I don't agree with the policies of this thing, so I don't want to see anything from it. And uh, so you know, the, the policies, the policies of individual instances now are a thing. It's like, okay, so do I have to keep up with this? And then, uh, as I looked around some of these, uh, I thought maybe there's an advantage in having an account on like, I was looking for kind of where, like where the, the science fiction community, uh, you know, of, of which, you know, I have been more and less involved, uh, you know, going back to the genie SFRT and dueling modems and, uh, uh and, uh, the thing, which, uh, just shut down like recently in a blank on the sff.net um you know and i've had all these various and usenet and i've had these various places where i've hung out online with science fiction people and i you know it's like why not be on there and i uh found what seems to maybe be one of those places and uh you it's not like an open enrollment i think somebody has to invite you it's like oh shit man i mean it's probably not that hard to find somebody and have them invite me but what do I care? And does it matter? And again, I still don't know this whole stuff about the multiple accounts. The other question being, do I care? (laughs) How much energy do I want to put into this? Uh, Whether I'm doing it uh, optimally, the absolute optimal way, or the absolute worst way? In reality, what's the difference in my life between doing it the best I possibly could and the worst I possibly could? Possibly there is no difference. So, uh, maybe I don't worry about it. I will also note, and this is, um, entirely, uh, common and should be expected, um, in a new project that's trying to do new stuff, the toots. They're not tweets, they're toots. Just like a fart. (laughs) Okay, toots. Um, there are lots of toots about Mastodon, on Mastodon. That is not an, again, that's not a thing against Mastodon because Certainly, I did many podcasts about podcasting. And I have done them relatively recently, and I'm sure I'll do them in the future. And in the beginning, I did a lot of them. Um, and I've I've re- read and written many blog posts about the wonders of blogging and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So using the thing to talk about the thing, that doesn't uh, – usually, um, it's the kind of thing that a um, – a detractor will say, well, all they do on Mastodon is talk about Mastodon. All they do on podcasts is talk about podcasts. It's a new thing talks about the new thing to get the new thing rolling. That is that is how new things uh, get rolling. So I uh, I believe what I am is Henio Diabolical, as I am on most things, at Mastodon.lol So, if you're Mastodoning and you want to follow me, that is the way to do it. Henio, with a G, of course. Henio Diabolico, at Mastodon, LOL. For those who have not been around for the last oh, 15 years or so, um, the origin of the Henio Diabolico goes way, way back to when Michael Butler was at wonder he was at some science fiction convention in san francisco or some comic convention and he's going around getting ids for himself but also for me which was uh an act of generosity so he got various people saying you are listening to the evil genius chronicles and one of those was the uh, uh cartoonist that does grew the wanderer uh sergio aragonis and he uh he did you are listening to the evil genius chronicles and he did uh Estoy escuchando uh, Las Cronicas del Genio Diabolico. <laughs> and ever since then, Genio Diabolico has been a thing I uh, have incorporated. To this day, uh Las del Genio redirects to this show. So that I have I pay fifteen bucks a year for a joke <laughs> that practically no one ever actually experiences. <laughs> so there you go. But anyway, enio diabolico at mas- at mastodon.lol. All right. I but referenced Usenet. Of all these things like this, to this day, I most miss Usenet. Um, probably there is still some, you know, just like there's MAME and, you know, people retrocades and things like that and probably there are dial-in BBSs alive out for some nostalgic impulse. Um, There are certainly are BBSs that you can get to via the internet, you know, that have the basically the BBS experience, but the, uh, like, Usenet at its heyday, boy, I missed it, and it was, like, my favorite interaction of all these things. I used Net uh, Newswatcher, is that what it was called? Newswatcher? Net Newswatcher? Something like that. Um, A Mac application, and it would let you do things like filter. You could say, you could filter things up, you had a block list, you could filter up and down. To where the filtering could be hiding the filtering could be like sh- sort it to the top or give it a different color or whatever so people that you were particularly interested in you could make sure that you saw their stuff and people that you hated you could make sure you never saw their stuff and so it was certainly uh, it was the first time uh the experience i have on facebook where i i block way more people than i am friends with i block probably at this point i probably block a thousand people although that number hasn't really grown because i don't uh Use it enough to ever block anybody because I don't use it. But the, the I had a finely tuned uh, uh, kill list. Is I guess what you called it of people that I just didn't want to see what they had to say. And so I would kind of see them, if people were in a conversation and they were quoting them, I would see what they said in the quotes. And every so often, so basically I'm seeing like uh, an invisible man type situation where I'm seeing somebody argue with nobody. (laughs) And (laughs) every so often I would get uh, interested and I would go into my kill file and I would temporarily turn it off so I could see that person's post. 100% of the time, this never Ever failed is that when I did that to see what that what I was missing, to understand the context of the rest of this, I always regretted it. I said, "Oh, yes, I recall now why I blocked your sorry ass." I'm going to resume this because that was in fact the correct <laughs> way to behave. So, yes, you were you were reblocked. Oh my! Oh, oh my! Now, um, one of the places that I hung out, and that was you know intermittently active i had periods of activity and then sometimes i would go away long enough that there would be like a rise and fall of uh, i don't know what you call it the like the most active people so there would be plenty of people who remembered me and then like there's a new set of active people that don't remember me like who are you coming in here acting like you own the place i was like dad i've been posting on here for like 12 years but um, you know there you go um and i absolutely remember that I had, you know, so there was a lot of people in fandom, like Patrick nielsen Hayden's was and, and Teresa Nielsen-Hayden, who were extremely uh, active on Usenet. And when would this have been? This would have been in the late 90s, because, or would it have been the early 2000s? It's whenever the late George Alec Effinger was having his kind of bottoming out. He had a, a generally, he was a brilliant writer. Generally had a rough life, and was a super nice gentleman. I interviewed him at armadillocon in 1996 in Austin, and I got to sit down with him and do an interview. And he was just so much fun, and he was like so nice. And every like, I would reached out to him one time. I was like, I said, I'm going to be going to New Orleans. Uh, you have any restaurant suggestions? And I'm looking for a list of like three, four, five restaurants. <sighs> Probably what I got back was like a three thousand word essay <laughs> on. <laughs> What to eat in New Orleans, how, you know, where to go, parts of town, specific restaurants, specific kinds of cuisine. It was like unbelievable. It's like, dude, I hope I wish you were too busy writing to do this for me. <laughs> I mean, but but thank you. But oh, my God, you know, so uh, I, you know, long before I ever had a chance to enter. I mean, it's one of those things where I was uh, you, know, you had to a little bit uh, shake your starstruckedness in the genie SFRT. Uh, and, uh, you know, using that and things like that when you realize, oh, my God, you know, like, I'm having a conversation with Larry Niven, you know, roughly as equals. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, the guy that wrote Ringworld is, like, talk- actually talking to me and seems to be, like, actually considering uh, what I'm saying. Um, and so, George Alligat-Effinger was, was one of those. I probably got my first book of his. I told I've talked about the mythical hobby shop in Norton Kansas that had the 25 cent used paperbacks and I'm sure I picked up uh some of his books off of that. Uh or maybe I checked them out of the library but what but I had absolutely read Effinger when I was a a teenager. And then you know here I am a you know man in my mid 20s or late 20s you know interviewing him and talking to him and is carrying on it was great. But there was a period where he um And he struggled with alcoholism his whole life. And he was not, uh, you know, he was not, it was not a dark secret. He kind of talked about it. And he had this period where he was in rehab and they did not allow him access to a computer. But he snuck in, I think he was like a, he had some sort of, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like custodial caretaker type of thing that you do, like you're helping out around the rehab as a, like a, what do you call it? Rehabi, a rehabilitator in the thing, uh, and I think he was in an office and had brief access to a computer, and he logs into written and just posts a, uh, "Here I am, I'm back, you know, whatever," and uh, at this time there had been kind of a rise and fall, and there was this new group of gatekeepers who, frankly, I hadn't remembered from the last time. You know, they seemed like all new to me, like in the last year or so, since the last time I had been active and there was this rule that had been passed and I don't even know how people pass rules or why this became the new norm, the new social norm. But on this thing, it was about fans talking about writing. And what you can't do is have writers talk about um, their own work. So I have a new book out completely verboten. Or even, you know, here's uh, here's a fun fact about this new book I wrote. It was kind of like the whole Wikipedia don't edit your own um, entry. It was a very much, it seemed like both um, coming from the same impulse, like protecting us from the, uh, I don't know what we're, protecting us from the perfidy of somebody uh, knowing what they're talking about. (laughs) That's what it it seemed like. I don't know why that was a problem that had to be solved. I don't know why that was such a big thing. But also, like, the, the dude who was, like, the sheriff of writers talking about themselves. So Lawrence Wadavans says something about one of his books. I'm like, am like, this is not permitted here. It's like, it seemed to me, like, small-minded, uh, seemed to me a lot like uh, science fiction security people, uh, you know, some of whom, many, most of whom are doing the Lord's work. And some of whom seem like they're in this job because they want to yell at people and tell them what to do. And it seemed to me like this guy self-appointed himself. Uh, to this job because he wanted to tell people what they can't. Who do you, Mr. Writer, Ms. Writer, think you're with your big britches and your actual books that you've written? Coming in here talking about your actual books you've written. Fuck you. And so, George Alec Effinger, at some risk to himself and his status in this rehab, comes in and posts a, I just want to tell everybody, you know, I posted every day and now I haven't for six months just because I'm in rehab and blah, blah. And this guy, uh, the same guy who's like the sheriff of Rec arts F- SF written says, "How do we know this is really George Alec Effinger? How do we know it's somebody not, uh, not uh, impersonating him?" And I've like lost my mind because for one thing, if you've he'd been, the dude had been posting for years on SFRT on Usenet, in his books he had a style of writing that was like inimitable, <laughs> so it it was so it was a self-signed <laughs> document because nobody writes like him however there is one person who could imitate other writers uh voices so good that they could imitate him that was george <laughs> he used to write these stories as o Niemand, which is uh, german for like oh nobody and he like he would write an o henry story that was like an o henry story that o henry never wrote like down to the word choices and the plots and you know he would write these pastiches of other writers and the only person i could imagine uh, being able to uh, duplicate his voice was himself. So, uh, done and done. So, that whole thing, I just, no. I re- that was probably when I stopped um, using much of the public Usenet because it was such a depressing thing that, you know, the sheriffs of the y- y- news groups had to make sure that the wrong people, and in this case, the wrong people were like, Published authors are not saying the wrong things. And I was like, I don't want this gatekeepy shit. And, you know, in some way or another, and and then there was a certain migration from you know SFRT and Usenet to both dueling modems and uh SFF.net. Um, and I will say of every protocol, like every internet protocol to communicate with other things, NNTP, which is the the, the one that drove Usenet. Boy, I missed that. Up until they shut down, there was a like SFFNet was an authenticated uh, NNTP server, like until 2019. Whenever we they finally said, you know, this is just not worth doing anymore. I've been at it, you know, 20 years. Uh, I'm ready to I'm ready to stop. But I so I was still using NewsWatcher, um, you know, and and news type, um, uh, you know, news reader. Um, clients to read SFF net up until the day they shut down and boy, I missed that. So every other thing, uh, you know, f- every forum and everything online has been trying to recapture that feeling of like, it was when it was new. And I, and also when I was young, <laughs> I was in my early twenties to- and I had a job and I had a modem and I had my brand new Mac LC two or whatever the hell it was. And, uh, you know, the this is what I say about old people when they talk about how the past was better. The past was always better for old people because they weren't old, right? That past was not necessarily better, but it was better for me because I was young and uh, having fun and exploring things. So that is what nostalgia is, is people saying this thing was better because I was better. Um, the place where it goes wrong is saying it was better for everybody because generally it wasn't better for everybody. But anyway, with that, Uh, I'm doing my... I will have a... I hope edited the coughs out. Um, My voice is not nearly as rough as the uh, Christmas Eve show. But, whoo, it ain't perfect. Absolutely ain't (coughs) perfect. Fine cup cup of this rapidly cooling coffee. The problem with the pipe wire era is that the setup is so long that my coffee gets cold by the time I start recording. It would be flat on embarrassing if I tell you the amount of the amount of time between when I walk to this computer to say it is time to record a show. I am now beginning the recording of a show. And when I be- say hello and welcome to Holy shit, dudes. <laughs> it has been an hour from that this point to that point. It uh it's demoralizing sometimes. Uh Pipewire. And it is ninety nine percent Pipewire's problem because it makes it ugh. Whatever. This is where I can hear the voice of Michael Butler saying, Why did you buy a Linux laptop? That's not not as crazy a question. (laughs) It's it's not a crazy question at all. All right. So, um, one of the things that I have been seeing, and we saw this a lot through 2022, is these articles um, about quiet quitting. And in general, um, you know, I have gotten to where I'm. You can you can always see the viewpoint. But you can see the frame behind a lot of uh, a lot of these things, um, particularly like what is big journalism. There, there's certain types of people that are always representing the status quo, and uh, even if they claim, you know, like CNN, uh, you know, people. Th- Say, well, CNN is not as hard right propaganda machine as Fox News. True. But it is also a very large uh, entity owned by very large corporations. And the frame it's going to come at is a very large, you know, a corporate friendly frame. It's not going to, you know, they're going to come out and say, you know, I think corporations should be smaller. I think, I think. The media consolidation, like that's not—you're not going to find that on CNN. You're not going to find a lot of voices talking about how bad the media consolidation that led to CNN (laughs) is, right? That's just—it's just not how it's going to work. And so these uh, these voices that I see talking about quiet quitting are always kind of on the side of. What's let's, let's say on management if you want to do the like the union like the owners versus uh laborers type split you know the workers versus the owners they're people who have the interest of the owners at heart and pretty much what it was one of these things where uh i had never even heard the term and then i see people talk about quiet quitting like the first thing you think is what the fuck is quiet quitting? And why is anybody, why are people talking about this? What are, what is this? And then you listen and <laughs> to the best I could ever hear is when I would see a definition of it, it would be semi breathlessly. Like, you know, it's these people who just refuse to answer emails at midnight and refuse." And it's was like, and they, they're, you know, doing their jobs, but not a lot more than their job. They're not doing like way extra of their job like it sounds to me like what you're describing is like a healthy work life balance <laughs> I mean isn't that you're telling me that like showing up and doing your job uh is not good? What you need to do is like the extra stuff and you you know you have to be available at midnight and you have to whatever <sighs> boy, <laughs> and that just really uh. Really brings it out of me <laughs> because for one thing, I, I I don't need to rehash the entirety of the story uh, full length. I will say that when I was laid off at the bottom of the dot-com boom in 2000, like March of 2000, and I made that promise to myself. In 20 years, dude, if not retire, you will be essentially fire. I, the, the term didn't exist back then, but it said in 20 years, you shan't be scrambling around looking for a job. You know so you will essentially be independent of uh the need for a job doesn 't mean you 'll be independent of a job, but you 'll be independent of the need for the job and I did that, and it was around that time and it happened again, you know like in the the economic crisis around two thousand and eight is we saw a lot about um we saw a lot of the asymmetry in um this, which is we're told to be loyal to our jobs right you, you need to be loyal to the company you know i I interviewed for uh, like a software development job that would have been a, d- developing the call center um uh software for Home Depot. And they were so big in that whole I bleed uh black and orange business. And I was like this was, I guess, my version of quite. I did not even consider that job seriously. I said, I want to write software. I don't want to bleed black and orange. That's not what, that's not what I'm here for. Also, they made you work uh, one or two weeks in the store. And I, said, I don't want to work in a Home Depot. I could work in a Home Depot without t- doing any of this stuff. I don't want to work the floor in a Home Depot. So, uh, but this, uh, like, that's where I kind of saw is the, like, uh, loyalty is asked of you as an employee. And at the point and at the point where, oh gosh, uh, profits may go down next year. Let's lay off a bunch of people. Let's dump workers. Let's throw them overboard like ballast, because we feel like our uh, executive bonuses might be impacted by this. <laughs> you know, it takes so little for a company to dump you as a person, and then this notion that you must be, uh, you know, wildly loyal to the company. uh that is. Uh, asymmetric warfare, <laughs> pals. I, I don't, I don't agree in it. They're not the vast majority of these big companies will not hesitate in throwing you overboard if it means that you know the uh, CEO's bonus goes up by a half a percent. <laughs> if they lay off half the workers and his bonus goes up or her, well, probably we'll say his because <laughs> it's almost always his. Uh, his bonus goes up by one percent. He'll probably do it. You know, it's it. <sighs> So I don't – it feels to me like the entire quiet quitting and – i I'm not going to use that term one more time because I think it's bullshit. I'm going to say the whole uh, anti-work-life balance <laughs> movement is all about that. It's make, making sure that you don't – that you're around um, to pull on the rope uh, when we need to and be thrown overboard when we need that. You know, you're basically cannon fodder uh, from the beginning to the end of your time with this company. And uh, whew, forgive me if I'm telling this story on uh, the show uh, again. I believe I told the story to a coworker, and I can't remember if I told it here or not, but I will. Not at this job and not at the previous job, but at a previous, previous, previous job. There was a time period um, where... I was super loyal. I was, and, and through acquisitions, the company, like the people who were in charge, were not the people I kind of pledged fealty to. If you know what I mean, this can happen in an acquisition type situation, right? You you have your core group, and you are super fiercely loyal to that core group, and then suddenly there's a, a whole other company that you have, like you just met, and you're kind of sort of expected to be fiercely loyal to them. And over time, like the the management became people i liked less and less and then at some point it came down to people that i just fucking hated and there was a time period where it was like a system upgrade or there was something happening or some maybe it was a you know some sort of uh development deadline there was something where i needed they wanted me to work uh i was asked to put in a heroic effort of heroic hours outside of nine to five that would have involved me missing a family obligation. And I said straight out, no, I won't do this. And Jesus Christ, <laughs> like the shitstorm, this this was uh, you know, this was the first herd in a giant shitstorm. And the the dude that I was talking to uh freaked out. It's like how like it was, this is not done. You don't say no to these types of requests. He didn't, these are not the words, but that's like the subject. blah blah. well, what? And uh, what I told him was, um, this is not even the first time you have asked me to miss a family event for a thing like this. So here's what I will, here's the deal I will make with you. If you can name either the family event that I missed or what the project, what the thing was that was so important. I had to miss my family event. If you can name either one of those, then I will work this one. But if you can't, I'm just not going to show up and whatever, do whatever you got to do from there, but I'm not doing it. And, uh, as (laughs) I don't think there's any, uh, (laughs) suspense in the story, dude did not remember (laughs) why the previous heroic effort he asked of me Uh, that's the other thing is oh you know this will look good on your you know people will have good feelings no one ever no one ever remembers that you missed (laughs) your parents 50th anniversary party or you know your kid's birthday party or whatever no one ever remembers that they always will tell you they will and no one ever remembers it because they don't truly give a shit they will say they give a shit they don't give a shit and of course and the person could not remember even what the big emergency was that was so emergent that I had to uh, miss the stuff. So I didn't do it. And also I didn't have that job much longer for <laughs> obvious reasons. Uh, the, the The bloom was off the lily at that point. But that's, you know, that's kind of my, um, that's my feeling about it is, you know, th- this is one of the big upsides of fire. Like I have a job right i'm showing up to work i'm showing up at work cuz i want to be there i am absolutely not showing up to work cuz i have to be there <laughs> and i will tell you that the um, the difference that makes in your life the difference that makes in your the way your job feels uh is enormous so uh the i don't know if there's a term for this but like the getting to fire but not retiring like uh fire ready you know Fire, gun cocked, but not... not Fire, gun cocked and aimed, but not yet uh, trigger pulled. Oh, that's a good feeling. It's almost like the feeling... um, Like, I knew... Like, when I left Intel, I knew that I was putting my resignation in on a Friday. I knew the day I was doing it. But I walked around all week with that resignation letter in an envelope, literally in my back pocket. I would (laughs) walk... Put it in my back pocket. I would set it on my desk. And I just... That was the only week I really enjoyed at that job. That <laughs> was, <laughs> was walking around knowing I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit in four days. I'm going to quit in two days. I'm quitting uh, later today. <laughs> and I've got the, and so the envelope was kind of worn by the time I, I had up this like envelope that's been riding around in my pocket all week. <laughs> but, you know, it was fun. But the, the, feeling, uh, the feeling that I'm here absolutely because I'm enjoying it. And it's the only reason I'm here because I, I don't have to be. That, my friends, is a feeling. If you can get to that point, it's, I'm going to tell you it's a good feeling. It is a very good feeling. It is so much better than the feeling of, which I've spent way too long, much of my career, which is, I don't like this job. I don't like these people. But uh, the mortgage still due on the first of the month, and w- what the fuck, man. So uh, I, I, I I, have to suffer with it. The When I got laid off, uh, the job that I took coming out of that, I hated. it. Oh, I hated it. And that's what caused that pledge. Uh, you know, that the in 20 years, I'm not taking a job. I don't want it. And uh, boy, uh, just, you know, was it the worst job I've ever had? I think it was the worst. It was definitely the worst, the most toxic environment. Like people got, I've never seen in a white collar job, so many people get fired. Managers got fired. Just developers got fired. People didn't like them. They get fired. Kind of like, it was like, uh, it's a game where you know slapjack. It's like one of these games where you're like racing to slap each other. <laughs> it was some sort of jack. It was like a jackassy. It was just an awful environment. And uh, um, I came. Clo- I mean, I was probably within a day of getting fired at one point. I mean, it was just. <laughs> and I've just I've seen people fired for cause. I've seen people fired for like bad stuff, but just fired because I don't like you. Uh, boy, I've never seen that in a software development environment, but I'm telling you a dozen people, <laughs> I mean, there were probably like in the entire engineering organization, 15 or 20 people. Um, and over the course of two years, like gotta have been a dozen people filed, people come and go, but people like just get fired. It was like being a coach. <laughs> it was like being a college football coach and having a bad season. It's not like you did something egregiously wrong. It's just like, eh. You're not doing that great this last week. You're fired. <laughs> it's like, what the f- <laughs> Ridiculous, man. So anyway, that's that's like the feelings I've been having Like all as I s- see this stuff, these think pieces about the nature of work. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Spare me from your think pieces about the nature of, of work. I wrote this in my bio on Mastodon. I tie this together. That I'm not here for profundity, either reading or writing. <laughs> I'm not here for intellectually, intellectual, dinas you know whatever man i'm just just the older i get um probably the more wisdom i get the less i care about uh reading and experiencing wisdom i just want to see dumb shit (laughs) yeah i'm okay with that. last very last thing um i the video archives podcast that's roger avery and quentin tarantino Uh, I have mentioned I'm rapidly falling behind because they put out a show every week and I listen to a show about every two months because it's a project podcast. I did uh, watch the movies The Keep, which is, I think, Michael Mann's first movie. It was like 1983. It was pre-Miami Vice. And then I watched the movie Cafe Express, an Italian movie from 1980. I will say The Keep sucked. (laughs) It was bad. It was... my, my, My kid watched part of it with me and kind of drew... Uh, an uncanny valley um, chart about movies that are on the high end. The movies are so good. that They're good. I don't know. The low end, the movie is so bad that it's bad. And it showed movie on the low end, not up to that level. It's like, that's where this movie is right here. It's not good enough. It's not bad enough to be good. And it's not good enough to be good. Um, So, uh, but that's I, I'm ready to listen to the next episode of Video Archive. Cafe Express was interesting. It was, it was kind of like a movie that if it was made 15 years later, you could see Roberto Benini being the guy who was the you know it was not miles different from what was a Nazi uh, the life is beautiful. It wasn't miles different from that. It was this guy, uh, an unlicensed, uh, coffee vendor on this overnight train, uh, going through Italy, uh, selling coffee and evading the authorities. And, uh, it was cute. Um, I will say for a 90 minute movie, I check, you know, every, I, um, at one point I paused it on, uh, on the Plex to see like how much time was left. And I'm like, oh my god, there's 40 more minutes of this movie. <laughs> it, it it was a 90 minute movie. It felt like a two and a half hour movie. At some point, I was like, oh boy, this is uh, kind of insubstantial for a, a movie this long. There were uh, character arcs and some narrative stuff, but. I I, I liked it. I didn't love it. So uh, it goes on. I've got more movies uh, between Tig and Cheryl, True Story, their podcast on documentaries, and this. Um, uh, At some point, my backlog will be cleared, and those will be the only two standing, because I can't watch all these goddamn movies to keep up with them. But anyway, that is the show. As I say, uh, follow me on Mastodon. uh, Rewind. (laughs) Or look at the show notes, evilgeniuschronicles.org. Thank you for listening. Um, Let us prosecute 2023 to the best of our abilities and do what we can with the year. No more forward looking predictions about uh, quality of a year uh, relative to previous years, because uh, that way lies madness. But uh, I'm glad uh, that I'm here with you and I hope you stay with me and don't forget that I love you. Goodbye.
0: Every step step of fucking adventure.